Another day, another dollar makes you wonder where your money went. You can scream and you can holler. Hi folks, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing times, the changing world, and the things that we can all do to live a better life. If times get tough, or even if they don't dictate it, is almost always the case during my 50-mile commute between Arlington and Frisco, Texas. But a little bit differently today, because it's not really between Arlington and Frisco, but between Frisco and Arlington. This is a Friday afternoon. Um, Today, for me, when I record this, is... uh, Uh, August the 14th. Now, I've already done a show on August the 14th, uh, and here I am doing show number two, and you're listening to it sometime out in the future. Yes, I'm speaking to you from the past, probably a couple weeks ago. And uh, the reason I'm doing that is I knew I would be gone this week, so I can't tell you what episode this is going to be. I'm trying to create some episodes to fill in my uh, downtime, but here's some interesting things if I haven't told you in the interim what's going on. Um, The personal mobile studio today is a Chevy Cobalt, uh, because the... The uh, highly reliable, highly dependable Jetta Diesel broke down, but it wasn't the Jetta Diesel's fault. I got some bad fuel from a, uh, a gas station that apparently uh, can't keep its fuel clean, and uh, my vehicle is stuck over the weekend. So if you hear any additional noise, that is... Uh, the less than stellar quality of the Chevy Cobalt, and uh, we'll make that the intro segment today, and we'll do that because I'm not going to do an ass clown and hero of the day uh, from two weeks ago uh, for today's broadcast, so just know that I have taken this extra bit of my time and effort to make sure that uh, you guys didn't go a full week without a show. I really didn't want that to happen, so this will be one of hopefully a few shows that I'll backfill and uh, publish in advance so that during that week, while well, I'm at Dirt Time 09 right now hanging out, or maybe I'm out on Catalina Island right now, who knows, uh, but I'm in California somewhere, and uh, you still get a show. So there's our intro segment well, knocked out. Let's do a little bit of house cleaning. Number one, make sure you are supporting our advertisers. Uh, our advertisers are my personal endorsement uh, goes with it. Uh, they can't just show up and pay me and get on the site. They have got to be vetted uh, both by me and by the forum moderators, so you can rest assured they are absolutely 100% vouched for, not just somebody that shows up with a check in a hand. Today's advertisers of the day are SOE Tactical Gear, John Willis's organization, outstanding individuals, top quality of stuff, made 100% in America, the best tactical equipment you can get your hands on. And speaking of tactical, our other advertiser of the day is Tactical Response. Uh, James Yeager's operation, excellent gear, actually a reseller for John as well, and uh, a lot of other great equipment and some of the best training in the industry. You can check those guys out at the survivalpodcast.com. In the right-hand margin, you'll see their banners and the banners to all of our advertisers. And of course, they will have their links in today's show notes as well. Uh, additionally, consider joining our forum. Get involved. Be active. Talk to people. There are some of the best people I've ever met in my life that are part of our forum. Uh, I feel blessed that they're uh, that they're part of what we do here and I think that you can learn as much if not more from the forum than you do from my show so please get involved with the forum 
Next, last but not least, if you think you get more than 20 cents in value per episode, consider joining the Survival Podcast Supporting Members Brigade. Uh, if you join the Supporting Members Brigade, you'll get exclusive content available only to members, along with over $64 worth of freebie retail value stuff given to you on day one, which will pay for your membership for the first year. And that knocks out the intro and the housekeeping. So with that said, what are we going to talk about today? Well, I can't talk about anything that's tied to any current events to do a show that will be out in the future. So I thought that today on the way home with all the stuff that's been going on recently for the Survival Podcast, uh, some things that have been said about us that aren't true, um, some things that have been uh, been done, I won't say any more than that, in, in relation to who we are. And uh, maybe it was time that we just revisited what this show's all about, its core philosophy, and uh, something maybe, you know, once in a while you go back to basics and you, you, you redo the fundamentals. And there's certain things that I think that I, along with you, and I won't say they're mine, they're ours, they, they belong to the show, the Survival Podcast, as a collective, that we've come up with, a, 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 a certain uh, grouping of things that, that we really kind of put our stamp on, that we've brought into the uh, modern survival and prepper world. And uh, chief among those, I think, is the philosophy of the grasshopper and the ant. Now, I know Aesop's a hell of a lot older than the Survival Podcast, right? But I don't know that I've ever heard anybody use the grasshopper and the ant story to uh, to help people understand survival, especially uh, modern-day survival, or even the stereotypical survivalist that gets thought of on the television set. So, real quick, again, I'd like to remind you guys of the story of the grasshopper and the ant, and tell you why I think you should be an ant, not a grasshopper. It's a pretty old story. Everybody's heard it, but there's the modern versions, right? The modern versions we tell our kids today, you know, they, they, they have a different ending. So let's just tell you the real story. The real story is the grasshopper Grasshopper and the ant both lived in the same area, the same field, and every day, on and on and on, the grasshopper played, and he ate whatever he needed while everything was green, and he was happy, and he fiddled, and he farted around, and the ant worked hard every day. He, you know, he played a little bit, but basically, he worked. He went out, he ate what he needed, but he kept bringing a little bit of extra home to his house every day, every day. And the ant would tell the grasshopper, grasshopper, winter's coming, you better get prepared it's going to be cold and there's going to be nothing left. And the grasshopper laughed at the ant. He made fun of the ant. He mocked the ant. He said, ant, you're a fool. Look, there's plenty out here for everybody. There's nothing to worry about. And, of course, then one day winter comes. And the ant goes down into his hole with his food that he saved up, closes out the cold, and he's fine throughout the winter. And in the real story, the grasshopper dies. We have new stories, new versions now where the grasshopper goes to the ant and says, Oh, can you help me? And the ant says, Come on in. Right? And then the grasshopper learns his lesson. And next year, he prepares. Folks, that is not what happens. Ants eat grasshoppers. Okay? Ants eat grasshoppers. If the grasshopper goes to the ant's door in the wintertime, the ant chops them up into little pieces and eats them. That's not the moral of the story, though. The moral of the story is the grasshopper's nature is to be a grasshopper. The grasshopper will not become an ant. It cannot happen. Grasshoppers die by the millions every year when winter comes and ants continue on. 
and then the cycle repeats itself. Well, a lot of people have lost the wisdom of that story, and they haven't understood. They're not grasshoppers, and they're not ants. They're human beings. But they have a choice to be like the grasshopper or to be like the ant. And that is core central to our philosophy here, that you need to become an ant. And you know, there's this harshness that people go, well, you know, how can you be that cruel we, to say we would let the ants, or let the grasshopper die? Because even if you want to save the grasshoppers, folks, you can only save so many. If there's ever a, you know, a local shit hit the fan in my neighborhood, I'll help my neighbors. I'll feed my neighbors. But if we ever have one of the really big scenarios, you have to turn some people away. Because you have to feed your own family first. That's why you prepare. And that's reality. And you don't save grasshoppers by feeding them when winter comes. You save grasshoppers by turning them into ants. And that's what this show is all about. So how do we be ants? How do we be like the ant without being literal? Well, we look around and we accept certain things. One, right now, yes, even with a recession on, everything looks pretty stable, everything looks pretty decent, and there's not a lot of hungry people in America. There's some news stories about it, but you know when you make news stories about something? When it's unique, when it's not normal. Okay? If there were hungry people everywhere, it wouldn't be news because everybody would see it all the time. The fact that when somebody does go hungry in this country, it makes the news, that tells you how unusual and rare it is. We have people on their food stamps and uh, people that are giving assistance and people that get help through private charities. And there's enough out there right now to feed most people. Yeah, there's some people living on the street that go hungry, but most of them don't have to live on the street. I hate to say it, but a lot of them choose that lifestyle. So we have this, this, this illusion that there's no reason to really worry. Well, that's just like the grasshopper who says, look how green the fields are, Ant. There's nothing to worry about. But if we're honest with ourselves, if we take just a second to say what could happen, and this is not a reason to live in fear, but it's a reason to live with some intelligence. We realize there's so many things that one little hiccup in all these interconnected systems can lead to catastrophe. Let me ask you a question. What would happen if the truckers just decided, you know what, we're going on strike? And the trucks stop rolling. Do you understand that stores today do something that they've never done until, I guess, about the past 15 years is when it really became in vogue? It's called just-in-time inventory. It's a way to maximize profits. I'm not beating up on the stores for it. But there's a fundamental reality. It's what they do. Inventory for a retailer is debt. They don't want inventory. They want to quickly turn their inventory. So Walmart, Kroger, Winn-Dixie, Publix, all the supermarkets, Albertsons, all of them run their operations as close as they can to what's called just-in-time inventory. What that means is that they're turning their food over very, very, very quickly. Well, what's the problem with that? If you put a hiccup in the supply chain, there's very little redundancy to compensate for it. What if we have an actual disease pandemic? Not this nonsense with swine flu, a real disease pandemic. You know, the bird flu is kind of taking a back seat to the swine flu because, you know, the, the, the swine flu is like the topic du jour. But that bird flu has a, a lethality rate in the 60 percentile. The swine flu has a lethality rate as of five one-hundredths of a percent. It's about on par with the common cold. It's nonsense. But that doesn't mean that disease pandemics aren't real. Let me ask you a question right now. If we had a real disease pandemic, 
and we went under a quarantine system for 60 days, and you had to stay home for 60 days. Can you feed your family for 60 days? A lot of people have never really thought about that. If you're a long-time listener, I'm sure you have. But it's a great way to make the people that are sheeple wake up a little bit and just realize it's not as hunky-dory as it seems like it is out there. There are threats. There are things that can go wrong. From natural disasters to man-made. The economy is basically held together with duct tape right now. And I think that to say that the economy is held together with duct tape is an insult to every redneck that's ever fixed something with duct tape. Because duct tape's probably a better solution than what's been done with our economy right now. Does that mean our economy is going to crash into the toilet tomorrow? Does that mean you should take every dollar you have and go out and buy silver and gold with it today? Absolutely not. But it does mean that there's a vulnerability there. Uh, this little car picks up pretty good, folks. Um, it does mean there's a vulnerability there. It means that there's a weakness there. And when you know there's a weakness in anything in life, it's smart to hedge against it. And some of the ways that we can hedge against it are, yes, maybe allocating some of our, our resources into precious metals. But also, how about allocating some of them into food? How about allocating some of them into commodities that we're going to buy anyway? How about allocating some of them into get rid of, getting rid of debt? Well, what do all these things have to do with each other? It has to do with another thing that I believe we've come up with here together as a team at the Survival Podcast that's unique to the prepper industry. And that's disaster commonality. I... I never heard that term, folks, until I used it one day. And uh, I don't mean to toot my own horn with that or anything, but I never heard the term disaster commonality ever in my life. And, And where it came from with me is I sat down one day, and I started looking at what were the most likely disasters to occur, and what disasters were like totally crazy, Hollywood only, they could happen, but they probably won't. And as I looked at those... And I started to develop a system of preparing based on what's most probable. Start with things like losing your job, death of a loved one, damage to your home, having to leave your home for something that's specific to yourself or to your neighborhood. And going forward from there and then going all the way out and saying, okay, then how would we prepare for kind of a hurricane or something a little bit bigger or a terrorist attack? Okay, fine. Now we've done Now how would we prepare for something totally crazy. Low probability, high impact. Something as nuts as a meteor hitting the earth. One in a hundred billion chance that it's going to happen while we're around. But how will we prepare for that? And what I realized, as I looked at this with a very logical analysis, was that by the time you'd gotten as ready as you could for the most probable things, you were fairly well prepared for even the most crazy, out there, totally um, unlikely events to occur. And that led me to the, the concept of disaster commonality. And it's a great way to talk to people when you want to share preparedness and survivalism with them. Without sounding like you're like, Joe, tinfoil hat freak, running around ducking and hiding from black helicopters, or some anti-government nut job, or any of these other things that we get labeled with, because it makes perfect sense. Hey, look, you could lose your job, right? Millions of people lost their job this year alone. So it's not something that's foreign to people. Hey, look, you know, they did all this talk about swine flu. I think it's over, over-hyped. 
But you know what? It made me think. What if it was real? What if it was a real pandemic? What if it was something that 10% of the people that got it were dying from that was highly contagious and spreading? There's been diseases like that before. It's only, it's only logical that there will be again. What would we do? And as you look at it, the same thing that you do for one disaster helps you in another disaster. Another thing that we are core on here is the elimination of debt. Debt is a cancer. And I've taken heat from people before when I called debt cancer. Debt is financial cancer. It will destroy you. Whatever lie you're telling yourself today that says to yourself, Self, it's okay to have debt. Stop telling yourself that lie. It's not okay. Debt is not okay. It is not good. It is not useful. It serves only to harm you. Now, does that mean you don't get a mortgage to buy a house? Absolutely not, okay? That is a different type of debt than I'm talking about. But you don't get a house mortgage unless if the day after you close, you lost your job, you can pay your mortgage for at least six months. If you can't do that, you're not ready to buy a house. I know that might sound like a bummer, but I'm sorry. That's the way that it is if you want to live a life that's stable and not threatened. If you want to control your life versus be controlled. Think about the fact that people lose their jobs every day. And then ask yourself, how can I put my family into a position where if that happens to me next week, we are homeless in 30 days? How can I do that to them? When you ask yourself that question, it takes on a new light. And the reality is most people that are in situations where they can't afford their mortgage are there because they have $50,000 worth of debt on two cars, they have twenty to dollars to $40,000 of consumer-level credit card debt, and they're going deeper into that debt every day. You've got to get the debt out of your life. You have got to view debt as something evil. And I'm sorry if you're deeply in debt today and you're thinking, boy, it's easy for him to say that because he doesn't have any. But you know what? Just a few years ago, I was over $25,000 into consumer debt alone. I had a big truck payment and a big car payment. And we were actually on the wrong side of the sliding scale, and we were getting just a little bit deeper into debt every month. And my wife and I sat down one day and said, the end, it is over, it is done, this must happen. And when we took that attitude into our lives and just decided, it's done, no more, it's got to go. Whatever we have to do to make it happen, it took less than two years. And not only did we get rid of the debt in two years, we saved money in those two years. We paid off all our vehicles, we paid off all our credit cards. The only debt we have in our lives today is a basic mortgage on our house. That is it, and nothing else. And we did that through hard work and determination. But we did that for a reason. We didn't just do it so I could sit here and brag and go, hey, I got no debt. We didn't just do it for the lifestyle. We did it because we understood something. We understood that it was keeping us separated from the things that we really wanted in life by giving us the things that we thought we wanted in life. We thought what we wanted was to be able to go out four nights a week and have dinner and drinks. We thought what we wanted was the nicest cars in the neighborhood. We thought those were the things that we wanted. But when we backed up and we looked at it, we decided, you know what we really want? We want stability. We want independence. And we can't have independence and debt at the same time. Because as long as you're in debt to somebody, you are their slave. They control you. They have power over your life. And we had to get away from that. The other thing that, that is kind of, I think, unique to the Survival Podcast 
that makes us a little bit different than I, I think just about any community out there is the fundamental philosophy that we are guided by that is simply summed up that every single thing that you do to prepare for disaster tomorrow should make your life better today even if nothing ever goes wrong. I never heard anybody tell me that. That was another thing that as I sat down and I I decided to take the, the mind that I have as a business analyst and analyze why do people come into the survival mindset someday? You know, what? something scares them. And then all of a sudden they become convinced the end of the world is coming. They usually tie it to events. Y2K was a perfect example. A lot of fruit bats, it's 2012. Okay? That's the next one. And, and, and Y2K guys weren't really fruit bats. There was a technology issue there. I think they overreacted. But at least there was something real there. This 2012 thing, we got some fruit bats out there that think, you know, that the galaxy is going to align and some Mayan end of the world thing is coming and, you know, whatever. But when you tie your preparations to an imminent event, and then that day comes and nothing happens, you begin to look around and you go, okay, I've got a garage full of food and a whole bunch of tanks of water and a generator and a hundred gallons of gasoline and whatever else you've saved up. And you're probably in debt from it because you freaked out and thought it was coming. You went out and spent all this money, and then you fall out. You're no longer a prepper. You're no longer a survivalist. You're no longer interested in self-sufficiency. And you go back to that comatose lifestyle, and you end up being one of those people with all your crap on eBay or Craigslist. And then the core survivalist comes out and buys your stuff at a discount. Why did that happen? And I decided it was two things. One, planning for the event was a problem. That we should never plan for events. We should plan to do without systems of support. Those are entirely different things. But the other thing was the mindset. I'm preparing for something to go wrong. And I said, what if we flip that on its head and say, I'm preparing for nothing to go wrong. But I want to limit my dependence today. That's what the Survival Podcast is about. That's what our community is about. We're not putting a solar panel on our roof in case the grid fails. We're putting a solar panel on our roof to reduce our dependence on the electric company and therefore the bill to it today. We're not putting a generator in just because if the power goes off we'll have a generator, but because if we eventually build out a solar system and we run that generator for 30 minutes a day and throw a little bit of extra charge into our battery bank, we extend our capability of independence right now today. We're not putting a garden in because if the world ends, we can't go to Kroger, there'll be food there. That's all good and well. That garden is there to provide for that if it comes. But today, we're going to eat better food without additives and preservatives. We're going to give the middle finger to the corporate entities that control the food system and the agricultural system. We're going to tell Monsanto, go screw. We're not going to put as many pesticides into our families today. We're going to learn how to preserve that harvest through canning and dehydration and all these things that were common knowledge to our grandparents today, not in case something goes wrong, but because that way we can fill our pantry with the bounty from our backyard. We're going to 
get rid of a couple ornamental trees and plant something that actually produces food, not just in case the shit hits the fan, but because it's an arrogant nation that has as many trees as we do that produce nothing, that has as much private land ownership as we do that doesn't produce for itself. Because our ancestors were smart, and they want us to listen to what they're saying to us across the generation. Once in a while, you need to just stop. Unplug from the internet. Unplug from your iPod. Unplug from me. Unplug from your car. Go somewhere quiet. Go preferably out in the woods, or even your own backyard. Get away from traffic. Get away from noise. Let the wind blow on your face and feel it and listen, and you'll hear something. You'll hear a voice that's part you and part where you come from, part your history, and it will say to you, be wise, protect what you have, care for those you love, and don't squander the things that have been given to you by the generations that came before you because you're arrogant and don't think they can be lost. When you learn to hear that voice, when you learn to feel that voice, when you learn to become in touch with its power, then everything will change. And you're not going to sit around singing Kumbaya in the woods and all your problems are over. No, there's still problems. There's still stresses. There's still things to get through. But you'll be in control and you've always been in control. The difference will be a switch turns in your mind and you realize, I am in control, I've always been in control, and what I do matters. And when you realize that, then you take on a sense of responsibility, and you start saying to yourself, wait a minute, if I'm in control, and what I do matters, as mad as I am at the ass clowns up in Washington, D.C., or at my state capitol, or at my local city courthouse, as mad as I am about that, I need to focus on myself first. And I need to assess the situation now. And if there's anything that threatens me or the people that I care about, I need to compensate for it. Because, buddy, ain't no one going to do it for you. And that is what has made this show what it is. That's why thousands of people download it every day. That's why we have a thriving and growing community. Because we took the fear out of survivalism. There is no fear here. There is no freaking out here. There is no real anger here at the core. We get angry about events. We get angry at politicians because they're very good at doing it to us. But when it comes down to it, the message of what we do here is about personal, individual power. It is no different, absolutely no different, that if you talk to an oncologist who treats cancer patients, many with terminal prognosis, and you say, tell me about the patients that when you tell them they have cancer, they say, do whatever you think is right... I'll do whatever you tell me to, and tell me about the patient that's a pain in your ass, that asks me, asks you, why are you doing this? What are my other options? Why are we taking this course? Is this surgery necessary? Is this treatment necessary? 
do? Is there any place else I can go? Can I get a second opinion? Can I get a third opinion? Even if they follow the same course of treatment asker after asking all the questions. Ask that oncologist. Who survives more? They will tell you the pain in the ass always survives more. Why? Because they don't lay down and accept things. They understand the most important thing in the world if you want to survive. What you do matters. It is the difference between seeing a threat and getting out of the way or standing on a rooftop waiting for help. It is that simple, and the beautiful thing about it is you don't have to invest in it. You don't have to store it. That fundamental core philosophy is a switch you turn in your mind. You can do it anytime you want to. And the thing that makes it attractive, the thing that makes this community grow, is it's about power, and therefore it's positive and it feels good. And it changes everything about what you look around yourself and see. It changes your situational awareness. It makes you pay attention to the things that actually are important. It enlightens you to the misdirection that we're all given every day by the TV set. Where our politicians tell us one thing, blah, blah, blah. And the other side says, blah, blah, blah. And they both fight over this, this, this issue. It's already been predetermined what they're going to do with it anyway. And then they slip something under the table while you're not paying attention. It makes you aware of those things. It makes you dig a little bit deeper. It makes you realize that some of those people way out there on the fringes of tinfoil hatville, right? That some of the things they say is actually right. And it'd be sure nice if they stop acting like freaks. But it doesn't mean that we should write them off. We should hear what they have to say. Because occasionally they come up with something that actually makes sense. And usually they run away with it from there. But that doesn't stop you from pulling it out and analyzing and finding out where it really does affect your life. And what you really should be doing about it. And that's what this whole thing is all about. As I got deeper into this mindset, there were certain things that I realized that have always been true, but you just don't see them. And that is that most people go through their life never not having a vehicle payment. Sometimes they have two, and then maybe they pay one off for a while, and then they'll pay the other on the other one, and eventually they'll trade another car, and they'll go back to two, and they'll swap back and forth between one and two car payments. But there's always at least one car payment. The average car payment is between four and six hundred dollars today in America. Four and six hundred dollars. You know, I own a second home, and the mortgage payment on it is about four hundred and fifty bucks. That wasn't easy to buy. It wasn't easy to find. It took several years to find the opportunity. But when I did, I bought it. And I realized I could either drive around in a car with a, with a car payment for the rest of my life, or I could save my bunny, pay off my cars when I needed a new car, save up and buy an adequate car, and drive around for 20 years with a car payment, and end up with a second piece of property that I own free and clear. And in the interim, if something went, went wrong, I had a place to go. You don't think that way when you live in the material world that's around us every day run by MasterCard, Visa, and American Express. The human mind doesn't think that way anymore. But folks, do you know why people came to this country in the 17, in the 1800s? Do you know what brought them here? Do you think it was the Stars and Stripes? Do you think it was our Constitution? Do you think it was our Declaration of, of Independence? Do you think it was some fancy saying that a politician came up with? Do you think it was the plaque on the Statue of Liberty? 
no, 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 and no. Whatever you were taught in history is probably wrong. Unless you had an enlightened history teacher like I did. Do you know what brought him here? The ability to own land. That's what brought people to America. Masses and masses of land. And commoners could own the land. They had the right to private property. Folks, that didn't exist in Europe in 1750. That didn't exist in Asia in 1750. That didn't exist anywhere. Where the commoner, if you weren't noble, if you didn't have a birthright, you didn't get to own land. You had to be a serf. And a serf could come here and work in appalling conditions, yes, in a factory or a town or a farm. They could do it for six months to a year. Live like they were a pauper, which didn't matter because they already were. They didn't have this, 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 you know, this fake view of what they were entitled to. What they came into was better than what they had, so screw it, they were going to do it. But after a year, six months to a year, maybe two years, they could go west, find a piece of land, settle it, and own it. Forty acres and a mule was the American dream. And it made this country the greatest nation in the world. And I won't apologize to anybody for saying that. And if it bends your nose sideways because you live somewhere else in the world, I'm sorry. I'm absolutely sorry. This nation at least was the greatest nation in the world at one time. And I think we can be again. But that's what made it that way. Freedom of choice. Freedom of the individual to yearn to be free. You know that plaque... On the Statue of Liberty, give me your poor, your tired, your huddled masses. You know what I want to do with that plaque? I want to go up there and I want to change the words on it. I think that plaque is full of crap. You're poor, you're tired, you're huddled masses. No! That's not America! That plaque is one of the most un-American things about America. As much as I love the statue itself, that plaque has got to go. Do you know what that plaque should say? Give me your insatiable... Give me your insatiable who will not be satisfied to be held down. Give me your motivated. Give me your hungry. And I don't mean the ones that need food. Give me your strong. Give me your courageous. Give me your brave. Give me your pioneer. That has said to you, I am tired of the limitations that you've placed upon me. I want to go somewhere where I can fight it out for myself. Where I don't need you to help me. I just need you to get the hell out of my way. That's what it should say on the Statue of Liberty's plaque. Give me your insatiable. They want the obstacles removed and don't require a system of support. Because that's what made America. And that's what's being taken away from America today. But here's the clue, folks. Here's the thing you got to realize. You don't have to play the game. You don't have to accept the systems of support. That they keep coming up with new ones over and over every day to shove down our throats to try to create a utopia. And you can do it through individual choice. It doesn't start with a picket sign, and it doesn't start in the ballot box. It starts by reaching out and picking up a garden trowel and sticking it in the ground and beginning to produce something for yourself. To sit down at a meal with your family and look at the food on the table and go, we provided this for ourselves. Jules Dervais of the Dervais family out in Southern California that grows 6,000 pounds on a tenth of an acre. 
says, growing food may be the most dangerous occupation in the world because when you grow food, you can realize your own freedom. That man inspired me a lot with the work that I do at the Survival Podcast. I doubt he considers himself a survivalist. I doubt he's very friendly to some of my views about politics. But he's my brother. He's my brother as an American, and I admire him and the work that he's done and the inspiration that he is. And that's what I've taken from him. That's what this show's about, is taking the best of America, regardless of whether they're left or right or center, or libertarian, or status, or constitutionalist. All of these people, at their core, are first humans. And when we watch the way that human beings live, when you take fear out of their lives, and you give them freedom and liberty, then we see the best that's in them. And my belief is that anybody that wants that for their lives, and for their family, and for themselves, can have it. They can have it right now. They don't need anybody's freaking permission. They don't need to live any way other than that they choose right now. It's not oversimplified. Don't believe that little piece of yourself that's saying, don't listen to him. He's, he's making it too simple. It's easy for him to say that now. Yeah, it wasn't always easy for me to say it, folks, but I said it when it wasn't easy too. And I'm telling you, it's your choice. It's up to you. And with that, I think I'm going to go ahead and wrap up today. I just wanted to, while I'm away, not let you forget who you are and what you are. Remember, above all things, what you are is a human. And that is a message we have lost. You are not a Republican or a Democrat. You are not a conservative or a liberal. You are nothing unless you are first a human being. And as a human being, you have rights and you have dignities. And you are entitled to them. And never let anybody or anything make excuses for taking them away from you. Claim your independence. Claim your liberty. And keep on living that better life. If times get tough, or even if they aren't. It really doesn't matter because it all gets spent.